Hi, my name is Ryan. The Old Testament reading is found in Psalm 27, 4 through 8. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in a shelter in the day of the trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. And I will offer in his tent sacrifices with shouts of joy. I will sing and make melody to the Lord. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, Seek my face. My heart says to you, Your face, Lord, I do seek. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Bobby. The New Testament reading is found in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through your name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please stand for the gospel reading, which is found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 10. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us, and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, Which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves, for I have a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and have nothing to set before him. And he, and he will answer from within, Do not bother me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up or give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give you anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will, give, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. 
For everyone who asks receives, and the one who, f- who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to our Lord Christ. You may be seated. Well, good morning, New Life Downtown. So good to be worshiping with you this morning. I have the joy of introducing a very special uh, friend of mine who's going to be our speaker this morning. Many of you will be familiar with Pete Gregg, but let me just tell you a few things about Pete. Uh, Pete founded the 24-7 prayer movement, which began about 15 years ago. And as a result of it, the Lord has really breathed on it and used it. And as a result of it, there are prayer rooms that are part of this movement now in, in about half of the countries on the planet. Think about that. Prayer rooms that have been birthed as a result of this movement that are in about half of the countries on the planet. In addition, there are these boiler room communities, which are missional communities that have come out of this uh, movement that are now in, in four different continents. And what I love about Pete is he's drawing on the rich tradition of prayer throughout the church's history and across the spectrum. So the Lord has used it really to be a bridge in so many places. It's outside the box. It's not a niched sort of prayer thing. It's, it's wide and it's far-reaching. Some of you will be familiar with Pete's book, Red Moon Rising, which he wrote several years ago, that, that tells a lot of the stories of this movement, a lot of the, the miracles and, and, and the, the justice movements, the evangelism that came uh, has come through this movement. If you're not familiar with it, you'll want to check that out. Uh, Pete's also written a second book, by the way, called God on Mute, which I think the title speaks for itself. Pete said, if Red Moon Rising is all the excitement and the miracles, God on Mute is unanswered prayer. Uh, so you can see again why I love this guy is because he's, he's not talking to us about prayer in, in, in one side or another, but helping us uh, experience and embrace the breadth and the depth of it. I've gotten to know Pete through some mutual friends and then got to spend a bit of time with him in some of my trips over to the UK. Um, I've been at his church. Pete is a pastor of a wonderful church in Guildford, England called Emmaus Road. Had the, I've had the privilege of, of sharing a meal with his wife, Sammy, and their two boys. He's a great a man of God, loves his family, loves his church. He's also the director of prayer for Alpha International, if you're familiar with Alpha uh, and the Alpha movement. But I love this guy because every time Pete speaks, I'm inspired to love Jesus and to seek his face more. And that's, that's really my prayer in having him here this morning. Uh, I think as a church, we're on the cusp of, of a new season that the Lord's doing in our midst and through us. Uh, but none of it will be possible without prayer. And so it's really a divine uh, timing thing for Pete to be with us. And also, the irony is not lost on us that a Brit is speaking to us on the 4th of July weekend. So, without any further ado, please welcome my friend, Pete Gregg. Yeah, it is so nice to, to be with you. Um, as you've heard, I'm from England. Uh, please try not to judge me for that. I've noticed Walt Disney, all the Disney movies, all the evil people have English accents. You ever noticed that? Simba, what have you done? You know, so I'm not evil, uh, particularly. And then other people think, oh, he's got an English accent. He knows what he's talking about. This too is not true. It's an accident of birth. You're the guys with the weird accents, as far as I'm concerned. So, 
It's so nice uh, to be with you. Uh, it was a joy having Glenn with us in England. Uh, I, you know, honestly, you guys getting to sit and listen to the caliber of teaching that you have here every week. I often listen to it online. It is just phenomenal. I know that's why you're here. If it's your first Sunday here, you got lucky. There's a really good uh, community. It's not just the teaching. It's that it really is community. 70% of this church are in meal groups, uh, gathering together around food and around the scriptures and are trying to do life together. So this is the real deal in a world of people who are just trying to big up their own egos using the pulpit and full of charlatans and snake oil traders. Uh, Glenn Packham is the real deal. He's a real pastor and a servant of the church. So uh, it's good news and welcome. <laughs> now, it is weird being here on the Independence Day weekend as an Englishman. Um, I said to the earlier service, it feels a lot like uh, turning up this wild party and everyone's there and it's really good fun and then you realize it's been thrown by your ex-wife to celebrate your divorce, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Hashtag awkward. And, and, uh, you know, it's still not too late, by the way, if you want to rethink the whole crazy independence thing. How did that go? Yeah, it went well. Okay, so... And to make matters worse, it was nearly England v. America in the Women's Soccer World Cup tonight. God spared me that scenario because I think it would have been too much. So it's great to be with you. Um, It's exciting because we are wandering into a mini-series completely by accident. You know, when you have two morning services, you might do the same talk twice. And I had the same talk prepared twice, uh, but I didn't quite get through it all in the first service. And I really believe God is calling you as a church to push deeper into his presence in prayer and encounter. He's wanting to raise you up to be one of the great priorities for Jesus, that his church would be a house of prayer for all nations. And sometimes that vocabulary, that terminology has been devalued by people who have tried to take it to the extremes. But this is integral and central to what it means to be the people of God. And so I believe God wants to do something amongst you area of prayer. And therefore, what I'm going to do is part two of the series I began in the first service. So uh, if you're listening online, welcome. If you are here now, you probably are. Almost all of you who are here are here. Uh, then you might want to listen to the first, uh, first talk because we're titling this mini-series, Salt on Our Lips, for reasons that will become clear, uh, uh, thirsting for more in prayer. And in the first service, we looked at particularly adoration as we journey through the Lord's Prayer. And in this service, we're going to look uh, together at intercession and petition. And I hope it's going to leave some kind of a deposit that is useful to you, not just individually, uh, but as a church at this uh, time. Prayer isn't easy. I remember praying with one of our kids when he was really little. You know, we we try and pray with our boys every night. And um, I don't know what, what, what what you pray. My prayers get more and more simple. And the thing I pray more than anything for my children is that they'd grow up to know and love Jesus. Because I think if they, if they got that, kind of everything else fits. And so this particular night, I had my eyes closed. I was holding Hudson, that's his name, uh, cuddling up close. And I was saying, dear Lord, I pray that when Huddy gets older, he'll want to know you and love you. And suddenly this little voice screams, no! So I opened my eyes thinking, oh no, is he the Antichrist or, you know... <laughs> This is starting soon. 
He said, Daddy, when I get older, I, I don't want to be a Christian. I want to be Batman. <laughs> so I assured him it's entirely possible to be both. I hope that's, so, that's okay. Prayer, is, prayer can be confusing. Because prayer can be confusing for much deeper reasons than that. Um, some of you will, will know my story or you, you've picked it up even from Glenn's kind introduction with the two books. When 24-7 began and we suddenly found ourselves virally all over the world with Rolling Stone magazine and Reader's Digest writing articles about us, documentaries being made, new mission initiatives coming out of the prayer rooms, new monastic communities getting uh, planted. Uh, it was incredibly exciting. And for the first year or so, we, we, we felt like we'd found the big revival switch and we were it. And then... Just over a year in, my second child was born, and my wife got diagnosed with a brain tumor. And for a long time, having felt like my prayers could save the world, I suddenly wondered whether they could even save my own wife. And I had to begin to live in the paradox of faith that celebrates the things God does do, but lives with faithfulness in the light of the things that he hasn't done yet. And the great news is that they were able to operate and they got most of the tumor out and it's not growing back. We have an ongoing battle with epilepsy. It's a really pretty name for a really horrible disability. And uh, don't call your children epilepsy, just trust me. And, uh, but but she, 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 she endures all of that and she has to take you know, all these anticonvulsant drugs. And, 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 and so uh, prayer can often be confusing as well as knowing that it is utterly central to everything that we are uh, called to be and to do as, not just as Christians, but as humans. And um, as we heard in the gospel reading, the disciples come to Jesus and say, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And he responds by giving them the Lord's Prayer. These incredible words that are prayed by, it's estimated, some two billion people on Easter Day alone every year. It's the greatest prayer that was ever given. It's, it's really the heart, the, the center. In the, in the first talk, we talked about how the Lord's Prayer is a why, a what, and a how to pray. But, you know, one former Archbishop of Canterbury was asked, how would you, if you were to take 2,000 years of Christian thought, all the libraries, all the thoughts, all the books, all that the Bible says, if you would take all of that and summarize it on the back of an envelope, how would you summarize the Christian faith? He said, oh, that's easy. I would just write the Lord's Prayer on the back of the envelope. And, and, and so Jesus says, when you start praying, and I want you to hear this as if he stepped down 2,000 years and it's just you in the room with him, and he looks you in the eyes and you've said, Jesus, I find prayer hard. Help me. This is exactly what he's saying to you. He says to you, start by addressing God as Father. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And maybe you feel, oh, that's difficult because you want to say to him, you don't know what my dad is like. And then he winks and he goes, actually, I do. Or, or, or maybe you're saying, I've heard the Father Heart of God talk before. Come on, let's get to the real thing. But he says, you must start by remembering that God is a good Father who cares about you intensely. I struggle with this still. I'm the leader of a prayer movement, what a weird thing to be. And yet, I still have to continue to remind myself that when I come to pray, I'm not doing some transactional deal to get something to happen. 
I'm not trying to twist the arm of God using Bible verses. <laughs> you said you'd do it. You better do it. 2 Chronicles 7, 13 and 14. I do my bit. You do my, your bit. That I am entering into relationship. This is not transactional. It's relational. You know, I really struggle with patience sometimes. <laughs> I I get really frustrated with people on Facebook and social media who feel the need to put photographs of their food, plates of food, on on social media. Anyone else? It just never looks good. It's never. It's always horrible. Just don't ever do that. Let this be a turning point in your life if you... I, I get really frustrated with people who drive too fast behind me and too slow in front of me. Because I'm always just right, you see. Any wives here that feel your husband needs to confess something right now? And one of the things I get really frustrated about is in church environments, when the lyrics during the worship songs are about one to two seconds behind the singing. Does that ever happen here? It's never happened here. That's so good. By the way, a round of applause for the guy. We never thank these people enough. The people on the sound desk and on the screens back there. Thank you for your ministry. You have done a brilliant and a perfect job today. So I get really frustrated. The funny thing is you see me down the front. I'm worshipping. You're thinking, oh, he's so holy. He's lost in wonder, love and praise. And in my head, I'm just thinking, how difficult can it be to press a button on time? He's clearly not worshipping. And I'll be honest, it almost always is a he. I don't know why. He's clearly not worshipping. And he thinks he's invisible. He might as well be standing naked at the front. Everyone is watching every movement of his digits. He's playing Candy Crush Saga while the people of God worship. I'm sorry. What? Oh, Jesus, hallelujah. You know. Sometimes it's the wrong song. Let's just get it off. Mostly for me this morning, this is therapy, okay? So, so um, the other day I had a breakthrough in this particular area of my life. Like, complete victory in the whole screens thing. i tell you what happened. We're worshipping. The lyrics were about two seconds behind the singing. At one point we did literally have the wrong song on the screen. And it took a verse and a chorus before the guy on the desk realized. But I was so full of grace. I I was just completely relaxed. I had my perspectives exactly right. If you had been complaining, I'd have told you to shut up and worship Jesus. The key to this breakthrough is that it was my son doing his first ever go on the words on the screen. And... I knew he'd got up early and he was trying his real best. He'd had a high-protein breakfast, you know. If you had said, honestly, the lyrics, I'd have said, shut up, he's trying his best. What's the difference? It's fatherhood. Suddenly I'd moved from being critical to being someone who's rooting for the guy, cheering him on, wanting him to succeed because it's my boy. What if when you come to God in prayer, with all your sin and all your failures, 
He is cheering for you and rooting you on and wanting you to succeed. What if it's true that as the Bible says, love covers over a multitude of sins? We often don't preach on that one. God likes you. One day the clouds will part. (laughs) And lo, verily, the Father will be smiling upon you. There's this beautiful prayer from the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard. He says, Father in heaven, when the thought of you wakes in our hearts... Let it not wake like a frightened bird that flies about in dismay, but like a child waking from its sleep with a heavenly smile. Jesus says, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We're not called just to spend all of our time in worship, uh, in prayer, worshiping and adoring and enjoying the smile of the Father. There is something about prayer that is militant, that is catalytic, that demands change. As we focus on the love of the Father, we start to find our hearts breaking for the people who do not know that love. As we exalt the King, we start to pray, let your kingdom come in on earth as it is in heaven. We move from adoration to intercession. And we see this in today's New Testament read, Acts cha- uh, reading, Acts chapter 4. Peter and John have been told to stop preaching the gospel. They go straight to the church and they don't, please notice, have a, have a meeting to plan. How are we going to respond to the fact the powers have told us that we're not allowed to preach the gospel? They don't even say, we really ought to pray about this. They, it says that they just raised their hands and raised their voices and began crying out to God. It was a spontaneous response to a crisis. And, and that, it, it, it's extraordinary, actually. Even that prayer that we have recounted that was so beautifully read for us, it's 138 words long, that prayer. And 103 of those words are adoration, telling God how great he is and telling God things he already knows. You did this through David. He's going, yeah, I was there. I know. I remember. Why are they doing it? It is because they're contextualizing their crisis in the big story of God. When we come to God in adoration, it's not to to make God feel better about himself. It is because we are reminding ourselves of the ecology of life in which he is at the center. He is in charge and we get to orbit him. And so as we seek first the kingdom of God, all these things get added to us. As we delight ourselves in the Lord, we get the desires of our hearts met. Why? Because as you love God, you love the things that God loves. And as you love God and love the things that God loves, you find you want the things that God wants. And so his will gets done. And Jesus says to us, anything you ask in my name will be done for you if it's in his name it's in line with his will do you understand and so we contextualize our story in the story of God and then the last 25% of that prayer in Acts 4 they say now here's what we actually need you to do for us you wonder why sometimes at church we spend so much time singing before we get on and do anything it's because this is the context for everything it's actually where it ends as well as where it begins and then that last 25% they They say, God, would you stretch out your strong arm? Would you help us to keep preaching the gospel boldly? And God makes the room in which they were meeting shake. And it says they went out and preached boldly. And and the church continued to grow. And so we see this response of intercession in the people of God. You know, every single part of the world that is seeing what we might call revival prays all at once, all out loud together. 
Now, I'm English. We're men who believe in the Queen and stiff upper lip. But there comes a point at which I have to say, this isn't cultural, this is just biblical. If Jesus sometimes prayed in a loud voice, as he did, and if the early church all raised their voices together to pray all at once, all out loud together, then we are not truly being like Jesus. We don't sometimes pray in that way. This is not a denomination or a cultural or a psychological preference. There's something about stirring ourselves, praying in a loud voice that's important. And God can hear us all at once, and it's far more efficient. And so we have something to learn from the Koreans and the Indonesians and the Nigerians and the South Americans in this realm of prayer. By the way, if you only ever pray out loud and all together, you're also missing something because the Bible says, be still and know that I'm God. And so it may be that as God grows you in this area of corporate prayer together, that one of the things that that you're going to be growing in is the times you just come together and just maybe in in, in response to, to, to to Charleston or a crisis and you just lift your voices and all cry out to God because you're called to be an intercessory people. We see this uh, with um, uh, Abraham. You know, where he intercedes over Sodom and Gomorrah. God said, I'm going to destroy those cities. And he knows his nephew is in one of them. And so he starts to haggle with God. God, don't destroy them. Don't destroy them. He haggles down the numbers. There are just this many left. See, one of the keys in prayer is to understand that even though God is God, his will is not automatic. He has chosen to work in partnership with us and his will is contested by the enemy. That means that there are things that will not happen unless we pray about them. There are things that will only happen if we pray about them. Prayer is partnership. If you've ever thought, why do I need to pray? If God's all-loving, all-powerful, all-knowing, won't it just happen anyway? The answer is, ah, ah, no. When a woman is raped, that is not the will of God. When a child is trafficked, that is not the will of God. The idea that God's will is just automatically happening in our world is, 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 I would say, blasphemous. The notion that God somehow wants these terrible things to happen outrages me. There is a battle going on. We see evil manifest continually amongst us. And our job is to stand with God and use the very free wills with which we once said no to God's will to say yes to God's will. Listen, the power of prayer is not when you manage to get God to say amen to the things that you want to happen. It's when you use your free will to say amen to the things that God wants to happen. You create a landing pad for the promises and the purpose of God on a war-torn planet. And so you have been placed in your workplace, in your family, in your street, in this city as intercessors to stand in the gap between the purposes and the promises of God on one hand and the pain of the world on the other. I often use a simple parable to try and explain intercession. This notion of standing in the gap between God and his world. And sadly, tragically, this is a common parable. It's the parable of a child. Let's make her a little girl whose parents have sat down with her to say they've decided to divorce. And as they speak to this little girl, the father says, you've got to understand it's your mother's fault. She's had an affair. And then the mother starts crying. She says, yeah, but I've told you, I've told your father again and again. He's been neglectful and he, he's just not interested. It's your father's fault. 
And so this little girl is watching this hellish scenario and then they come to the rub of it and they say, you've got to decide which of us you want to live with. And something within this little girl just screams out, no, I cannot decide between you because I am both of you. I came from both of you. I don't make any sense if I have to choose between one or the other. And so this little girl grabs her mum's hand and her dad's hand and she starts to try and pull them together. And she says, Mom, say sorry, repent. And she turns to her dad and says, Dad, forgive Mum, relent. And as she's pulling them together, she almost feels as if she is being pulled apart. And there we have the picture of the cross. God who is in Christ, reconciling heaven and earth, being pulled apart with the tension, but in his own body, living to intercede. And so... Maybe one of the reasons why your workplace is difficult or your family is difficult or your street is difficult is that you have been specifically put there as an intercessor. Because if you don't pray for your workplace, who will? Maybe you're a student. You're called to pray for your campus. Maybe you're a teacher. You're called to pray for your students. Maybe you're a full-time mother. Well, you're always a full-time mother, but a full-time carer. You're called to pray for your children as well as do all the other stuff. Fathers, pray for your wives. We are called to intercede, to pull the purposes and the promises of God in amongst the pain of this world. And, you know, I hear rumors that Glenn, as he sits around drinking Earl Grey tea and conspiring for the future of this community, is just musing on the idea of maybe launching a prayer meeting amongst you. And, you know, I don't want to kind of preempt things here. But one of my observations is this. That corporate prayer is one of the few things that all Christians believe is essential for the church to do. But it's also one of the least rewarding, often. See, so much we do in church life together that makes us feel good. So it appeals to the consumer in us. The teaching's good. Let's face it, you go to a church where the teaching's interesting, even occasionally amusing. You don't choose the one where it's completely boring. And then the worship, beautiful, wonderful songs. It's emotional. And then coffee is good. And so if we're not careful, church becomes this slightly sort of therapeutic response to our own consumer demands with a big Jesus tag on it all. When we start to talk about the priestly duty of intercession, we talk about something that is fundamentally about giving, not getting. Now, you're always going to leave the prayer meeting thinking that was probably a good thing to do. It's like eating oatmeal. It's just a good thing to do. No one gets out of bed going, I'm so excited about porridge. You know, you just don't do that, but this is good for you. So you always have that, but there's a sense when we stand in intercession that we are just doing the duty of the priests of God on earth, interceding, bridging the gap for our nation, the nations, our community, our family. And you know, you have to remember, you have such authority as you do that. 
I talked about partnership with God. I have endless stories I could talk about, but I'm going to tell you this little one. You know, as 24-7 has spread around the world, there's been so many prayer initiatives all over the world. But a lady called Deb Fritch in uh, Arizona decided to call the state of Arizona to pray continually, every minute of every hour throughout a whole year. And so she launched this 24-7 Arizona prayer initiative. And uh, two months into it, the Super Bowl came to the University of Phoenix Stadium. A few uh, days before the world's, one of the world's biggest sporting events came to their city, she had a dream in which she saw the University of Phoenix Stadium filled with blood. And she went through that thing that we all go through. Is this God or did I just eat something dodgy the night before, you know? And she thought, I've got to do something. So the night before that Super Bowl, she sent a team of intercessors down to the University of Phoenix Stadium in order to pray against uh, bloodshed. This is in 2008. And so they prayed like crazy against anything going wrong. And as you know, because if you're scanning your hard drives, you're thinking there wasn't an atrocity in 2008 or ever at the Super Bowl. It all passed off peacefully. And Deb said that at the end of the day, she felt stupid. She thought, I must have got that wrong. And she also felt bad at sending these intercessors out at night. And then the news started to come out. The news was this, that a man by the name of Kurt William Havelock, who owned a bar in, uh, I think it was Tampa, Florida, had appealed to the authorities for permission to set up a Halloween-themed bar in the area. And he had been declined. And this triggered some kind of irrational anger in him. And he wrote a bunch of letters, and he put them in the mailbox to different, I think it was seven different national newspapers, local and national newspapers, saying, I'm going to make you pay. You're going to pay with the blood of your own children. So he mailed these letters. He then armed himself with a semi-automatic rifle and 200 rounds of ammunition and drove to the University of Phoenix Stadium, and he parked up. He had put a note on his body saying, do not resuscitate. And he didn't know that he had just parked on a patch of the parking lot where a bunch of intercessors had stood the night before and prayed against bloodshed. In the court hearing, he said, I can't explain it. But as I sat there, I had a sudden change of heart. And he handed himself into the police. Now, we can't prove anything. But that's as near as you're going to get. Unless you've got such phenomenal faith in luck or the stars or good fortune. That's where you invest your faith. That something happened at that moment that had somehow prevented evil intent. As God spoke to his people and mobilized them to come into partnership with his purposes, which are always loving and peaceful and kind. Oregon, one of the church fathers, said this. The critics of Christianity do not see in how many people the flood of evil is restrained and wild habits are tamed by the gospel. 
We so often think that answered prayers are just the good stuff that happens, but it's often the bad stuff that doesn't happen as we pray. And so we are called to be intercessors, but Jesus goes on, he says, let your kingdom come, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. Now we move from intercession to the type of prayer we call petition. If intercession is asking God for stuff for other people, petition is asking God for stuff for ourselves. It's telling God our needs. God, I need daily bread. It's simple asking. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, this piece in the Lord's Prayer, because up till this point, Jesus, in our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. Jesus has been taking a, a, a Jewish liturgical prayer that was already existent out there called the Kadosh. It wasn't exactly the same, but it was almost the same words. Jesus, Jesus was just taking something they already knew. God in heaven, you're the king, let your kingdom come. At this point, he starts to go freestyle. Jesus starts to add his own prayer onto the Kadosh. And so we get this exquisite insight into what Jesus was particularly distinctively passionate about. And it's all deeply personal. Suddenly we go from God in heaven, your kingdom come, your will be done, to really personal Give us our daily bread. Defend us from the evil one. Forgive us our sins. This is the voice of Jesus. Uniquely amongst world religions. This incredible commitment to personal protection and provision and relationship with God. And he says, he says to them, and there's such kindness in his eyes, you should pray for your daily bread, guys. Ask God for it. And you might think, well, why do we need to ask God for daily bread in a land that Every supermarket's full of the stuff. Isn't that a wasted prayer? It was the same at Jesus' time. They had plenty of bread. And it was a long time ago, but they still had bread, guys. Probably nicer than our bread today. The point is this. If you only ever pray for things that are big and almost impossible, you will only be occasionally grateful. But when you learn to pray for the things that are trivial and inevitable, you will be continually living in gratitude to God. Thank you, God, a loaf of bread. Thank you, God, I got a parking space at Walmart on a wet Saturday. People say, should you pray for parking spaces? Absolutely you should. Because if you pray for parking spaces, then you'll be moved to worship when you get a parking space. Thank you, Jesus, it'll drive the atheist crazy. If you don't pray for it and you get it, you're just going to park in it and go, it's a parking space, a big deal. People say, oh, but are you saying that you wouldn't have got the parking space if you hadn't prayed? I don't know. Ask Glenn, he's a theologian. <laughs> I, just, I just want to live with gratitude, and so I'm going to start praying for all the little stuff as well as the big stuff. You understand? Give us this day our daily bread. You find faith for the big stuff by celebrating the small stuff Anyway, I remember I was walking down the street one day near my house. God spoke to me about as clearly as he's ever spoken to me. These were the words he said. He said, look at that tree. So I suddenly froze in front of this tree, thinking this is going to be my burning bush moment. right? <laughs> or, or the tree's about to fall down, I'm going to save someone. Or, so I'm, I'm there in front of this tree. And, and as I wait, and people are walking past going, is he having some kind of an episode, you know? Is his cat stuck up there. I'm staring at the tree. Absolutely nothing happens. 
So after a while, because I assume maybe God's got a little busy with things in the Middle East or he's forgotten or something. I go, God, I'm here looking at the tree. What happens now? And I sense God say to me, gee, you get so intense. I just thought it was a good tree. (laughs) So I find myself saying, nice job on the tree, Lord. And he goes, thanks. You know, before there was any sin or sickness or suffering in the world, Adam and Eve walked and talked with God in the cool of the evening every day. They had no non-Christians to save, no churches to plant, no human trafficking to fight. What on earth did they talk to God about without any sin or sickness or suffering? They must have said things like, nice tree, God. Cool, the thing with the long neck, we'll call it a giraffe. One day there will be no more sin or sickness and suffering in the world, and it'll be you and the Father. What will you talk to him about on that day? When there's no more problems to discuss. See, we're called to walk and talk with God through the simple things of life. Lord, I need a parking space. I need bread. And sometimes it'll be a bit bigger. I need a job or I need a breakthrough or I need a hand or I need healing. But he says, your Father in heaven loves you. So ask him for your daily bread. And you say to me, well, I ask God for a lot of stuff and I don't see many miracles. You know, Jesus once particularly told one of his parables to say, you must always pray and not give up too soon. He said, you're going to have to persevere in prayer sometimes, sometimes over many years. I always think that prayer is like stacking dominoes. And you pray the same prayer again and again and again and again. And then one day you pray the prayer that you prayed a million times before and the whole lot comes down. And it's not because you prayed a different prayer or a better prayer. It was simply because you didn't quit praying too soon. And, you know, I I imagine, say, say you pray that prayer that brings the enormous breakthrough and you happen to be standing on your left leg eating a peanut butter sandwich when you prayed the prayer. And so you conclude, not irrationally, because our brains are wired this way, the reason that I got the breakthrough is I was standing on my left leg eating a peanut butter sandwich. So you, 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 you're a good person. You want others to discover this breakthrough too, so you write a book about it. And people are so hungry and broken and desperate for miracles in their life. It becomes a bestseller. And Oprah happens to be on her left leg eating a peanut butter sandwich one day and something good happens and then it all goes crazy and then you've got your own, you know, conference circuit and your own brand. And Within about 500 years, an entire denomination of people who gather every Sunday to stand on their left leg eating peanut butter sandwiches. And the Holy Spirit says to the Father, why do they do that? The Father says it's Jesus' fault. We were trying to answer that guy's prayer on a day when he was doing nothing different whatsoever and Jesus kind of was a bit busy and answered it when he was eating a peanut butter sandwich standing on his left leg and now there's a whole denomination as a result. See, it's not that you prayed differently or you got the formula for breakthrough. It's you just didn't give up too soon. And if Jesus took the time to tell one of his parables explicitly to say, you must not give up too soon. Please keep stacking dominoes. Keep praying keep petitioning. So we're going to draw this uh, together now. And in a moment, we're going to come to the Lord's table. 
the Lord's table, which is the fruit of intercession. It is the ultimate moment of heaven touching earth. And so we are going to receive this gift from Jesus, who we're told lives to intercede through the bread and the wine. And in a little while, we're going to then have an opportunity to pray for one or two of you if you'd like to receive a prayer. It may be that um, this morning you want to pray for God's Spirit to come and refresh areas of your life, such as this area of the revelation of the Father's love. You know, that, 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 that he's cheering you on, that he's not tutting and critical, and, and that's a difficult thing for you to get your head around. It might be this simple invitation from the Father today to walk and talk with him. Not just talking about all the big stuff or all the crises, but just drawing him in a little bit more on your life in this coming week. It might be, if you're honest, that you've been slightly isolating yourself or excluding God or only allowing God in during religious environments. And he's just saying, can we just walk through life together a little bit more? Or it may be that God is putting salt on some of our lips. Augustine said, thou hast put salt on our lips that we might thirst for thee. He's putting a thirst in you, a calling to intercede, a calling to pray. That this message today has been a word in season because there's a sense of something stirring quite deep within you. It might be that you're finding your work environment, your family environment, incredibly tough. And this morning the Spirit's just reminded you... That's why you're there, because it's tough to be an intercessor, to bring my kingdom in through prayer and then through proclamation. Or it might just be that you need fresh grace because you're walking a long road of perseverance in prayer around a particular issue. So there'll be opportunity to pray. But what I'd love to do now is just conclude by just praying together through the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to do this in a way that postures us to receive the bread and the wine. And so I know we normally pray this corporately together, but allow me just to pray it over you, if I may, today. So let's conclude with prayer. So as we approach the table of the Lord... And we ask you, Lord, that you would teach us to pray. We do what you've told us to do. We pray, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thank you for loving us so much that you sent Jesus, your son. Hallowed be your name. We exalt you today far above every other God, every other thing that is being worshipped. You are holy. Let your kingdom come in us in our families, in our workplaces, in our city. Let your will be done. We surrender ourselves afresh to you, to your purposes, not ours, your agenda, not ours. We want to live as an amen to your prayers. Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Feed us, Lord. Feed us with literal bread, but also feed us now with your own body with your own presence, Lord Jesus. And Lord, would you forgive us our sins? We approach your table as sinners. We confess, Lord, our sin. 
the ways in which we have failed in thought and word and deed. That we have not put you first. Lord, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We just choose today to forgive those who have hurt us and spoken badly of us. sense the Lord speaking to me as someone your sister said something incredibly critical to you on the phone last night and the Lord comes and says I understand but you must forgive forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us and Lord lead us not into temptation but deliver us from the evil one deflect every attack diffuse every temptation defend us we pray for yours is the glory Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power forever.